Good day, everybody. My name is Skender Darity, and I am your host today for the MedTech Business Academy podcast sponsored by the MedTech med Experts. Today, I'm joined by my esteemed panel colleagues, Barbara Strain, Thomas Hickey, and Scott Alexander, who's less part of the esteemed panel. But also, sometimes they leave the, the worst for, yeah. Sometimes the last is not the best, so. Less esteemed member. Yeah, yeah but still handsome. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we're still giving him a bad time by the end of the year. It's fine. I get invited. Today, today's podcast, we're going to talk about kind of as we're recording this, we uh, just closed out uh, Q3 a little while ago. We're in the midst of Q4 right now, actually right in the middle of Q4 uh, 2023. So we're kind of at that inflection point where companies in our space, MedTech, most of them are on a calendar fiscal year. Some of them are already shift to a, fisc- a new fiscal year. But regardless, they're now starting to look at an inflection point of trying to close out this current year strong and then moving into a new fiscal year. So with that, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that and reflecting upon some information. So as a, without further ado, this is the MedTech Academy. All right, let's let's take off from here. So there was a Ernst & Young article um, that we were talking about in kind of pre-planning, pre, pre-production uh, that just came out that basically talks a little bit about the trends in 2023 from a financial perspective, growth in revenue and bottom line and, and, and some of the and how that compares to some of the trends uh, overall and historically within MedTech. Uh, MedTech over the last 20 years, uh, as the article points out, has roughly had about a 5% year over year growth rate, top line growth rate. Um, in this fiscal year, 2023, as we're speaking right now, it's basically highlighting that we're at about a 3.5. So clearly underperforming the historical average. This is not taking into account the anomaly that was 2021, uh, in which we saw kind of a rebound coming from, you know, the pent up demand of procedures in 2020 off of COVID where we had about a 15% growth rate. So the article also points out a lot of pain points, a lot of challenges and a lot of implications for where we're going and and, and what are the challenges for MedTech, everything from M&A being almost down 99%. I mean, th- th- that's pretty that's a pretty big number. Um, I don't care who you are, that's a big number. Uh, but along those lines, <clears throat> I guess, what we have to be asking is if you're sitting in a leadership position for a med tech company, doesn't matter, small, medium, big, enterprise, whatever it is, if you're leading, sitting in a leadership position, you're public, you're private, you have interest, what is it that you're looking at right now as far as the trends and saying, hey, this is giving me some feelings of good feeling going into my projections for the new year as well as closing out this year? What do you guys think? I think it's, uh, I, I have a hard time finding actually good feelings in it. Um, I think what you're trying to do is avoid heartburn with with your your key stakeholders, your board of directors, your shareholders, et cetera. So it's, it's more of threading the needle to make the year to look decent and then try to put a, a, a positive start on to 2024. So how is it just lipstick on a pig dumb? What are they doing for 2023? Um, I, I think there's some of that, right? And just in terms of, and I think that's when you you know delve into this article, you see that they're using debt 
to not make acquisitions, but to mm. restructure uh, their financing portfolio, right? So they're looking at things like interest rates. How do I reduce, you know, my 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 cost of doing business? You know, using um, and pointing that debt at, you know, reducing some of their own uh, external debt, and and just doing a restructure versus making acquisitions. So I see, you know, let's hunker down a little bit. Is the attitude? Let's uh, try to cut cost. Let's make the year look as as strong as we can, and then hopefully, if the macroeconomic you know indicators turn better into next year, we'll be in a stronger position than if we had uh, overextended ourselves. So I wanted to take off on a little bit of that. Um, so one is the inflation and all the adjustments that have been made, kind of dovetails in what Tom was saying. However. You may be pulling in a good amount of money, but it's inflation because prices are so high, right? I mean, you can't even get a meal at a fast food place for two people for probably less than $30 these days. So everything is high. So whatever margin you think you're making is not maybe reflected in how many units or how many service contracts or how many uh, different types of uh, services that I'm actually providing versus weeding out a lot of that inflation noise and, and what does our real picture look like yeah. uh, compared to what that looks like today. So no, I, think I think you have to sort of do a little careful if you back that out, right? So if we grew at three and a half percent, inflation is more than three and a half percent. So yeah. really what happened is the entire industry moved backwards in, in absolute dollars. Yeah. And and so I think I think we have to understand that there's there's a lot of pressure on our industry. We see that with, you know, you'd mentioned Skinner that MA is essentially done, um, at least for this year. And and so my takeaway, if I'm running a med tech company, the thing that I'm gonna stop and say is, all right, well, how do I make sure that I'm at least setting myself up for success so that I can grow commercially, I can serve more and and not get boxed out because I think I think what we're going to see is if this tight environment persists for another couple of years and you're venture backed and you're trying to um you know figure out how to survive unless you're being proactive about looking at how do we actually grow revenue you and and do so with with your own you know with capabilities that you've got at, at ready disposal. You're not going to be around for a little bit. If you've got to go raise a bunch of rounds to get there, the capital markets are are basically desolate at this point. So um, I think you got to buckle down and figure out how to like grow with what you got. So so coming back to the original question and coming to what you just said, building off of that, yep. the one thing that that we know historically about the capital markets is the fact that they can't sit still. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they've benefited. I'm going to put my 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 finance hat on. I started my career in finance a long time ago. I'll put my financial advisor hat on for a second. As a VC, as a private equity firm that raised all this capital, you can tell your investors that you're going to play it safe for a little bit, be diligent about waiting for the right deal before putting that money to work. And especially when you can get seven to 8% on your interest rate, just having your money sit in the bank. However, investors that are investing with venture capital don't want seven, 8% on their venture capital investment. They can get that on their own. 
This is supposed to be their diversity. This is supposed to be their home run ball, right? Mm-hmm. They have a whole portfolio allocated towards conservative uh, 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 investment to kind of hedge everything else. This is their home run ball. And at some point, this is what gives me optimism about 2024. There's a lot of dry powder, an exorbitant amount of dry powder. And it's going to have to be put into play because if you're a venture venture capital portfolio manager, at some point or another, you can't sit there and brag about a 4% return to your investors. They're not going to take it. Yeah. And I think that optimism, Skender, if I can interject, is also... Uh, it, I think that's really warranted. I think you're absolutely right on with that. And if you're a CEO of a of a small cap company or a, a, an innovative startup, you really have to think about how do I differentiate myself? You know, we've talked about some of this before in this podcast, but it's probably more important now than ever because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of distractions out there. You know, we're hearing a, a bunch about AI. We're hearing a bunch about health equity. We're hearing a bunch about, you know, hospitals shifting how they approach the market. So if you're a CEO, you've got to have a laser focused um, value proposition for both your investors and your customers. And you've got to really be able to cut through that um, that fog of all this noise that's going on in the marketplace. I think that idea of confusion and noise is true, Tom. I mean, if you think about what we've gone through over the past three years, it has just been it has been the most confusing time in probably all of our lives, right? Of like which way is up and where's the industry going and that sort of thing. And I think your point is true that we if you're running a company, you've got investors, you've got customers, you need to think about what's that one clear message that you can deliver that shows the value that you can provide and not get sort of tied into the the wash that is this, is it AI? Is it, you know, this, that, or the other thing? Like, what is it? I think you've really got to crystallize what that is and 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 run hard with it as opposed to getting bounced around like a lot of companies are right now. So when I was reading through this article, um, sort of my sweet spot sort of landed in this intelligent health ecosystem that they sort of talk about. And it's really got looking at life sciences, looking at that research aspect, what do you really need to look at? And so they said, basically, you have to have smart devices or smart systems And then everything needs to be connected. So that care keeps continuing through. So it's not segmented into those silos. And then I've talked with more clients in the last few months that are trying to do personalized, customized type care um, that through AI and a variety of other connected digitalized care you can really fine tune into those patient populations so that you can adjust what you're really doing with your product or service or pivot and and be able to do that. And it's really all about patient-centered health. So this is what they're referring to as an intelligent health ecosystem. And it dovetails into what Tom was saying is for venture capitalists and for those rounds and investments, that pitch deck for um, the, that market segment is you really have to have that value. And 
what is it going to be? You can't just slough through that as if it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's fine. We're going to do this and expect to get money showered on you. That's you know, a good, good no, that's a good point, Barbara. And I was going to also just add to that, that, you know, when you're raising money like this, in this type of environment, you've got to be, as the CEO, you've got to be very selective about who you partner with. You know, you, you sometimes can find the wrong type of money because you need an investor in this environment that's going to be patient and an investor that's going to be able to help the team, right? You, you don't want necessarily want a passive investor sitting around. You, this is a time where you really need uh, an investor that has some uh, industry experience, and a deep understanding of what it's going to take to get the you know, the ball over the goal the goal line here. So uh, you know, I think your point about getting that deck and really focused to that type of investor is really important. Yeah, and, and I think the other aspect to building upon this, you know, intelligent health ecosystem, I, I think it boils down to one word. Truly, really. it boils down to a company's ability to be agile. I, I think we're going to have more of an emphasis on agility. And what do I mean by that? Not being so large, not being so siloed, not being kind of a one size fits all, but having an ability to create agility and meet the patients, meet the clients where they are, which is not necessarily something that we have we have thrived in, right? Uh, it's easy to meet your clients where they are when you go to one main street and there's 600 beds in an eight, eight floor tower. It's harder to meet the clients when they are when they're in patient homes. Right. And, you know, speaking of agility, one of the things that I, I found to be remarkable, and I think it's a harbinger of things to come here, is, you know, there was just an article that came out, said Mass General, in attempting to, in, in attempt, attempting to democratize their, uh, their care, has actually entered into partnership with Best Buy. Right. Not to develop innovation, innovative products. They've entered into a partner with Best Buy because they were like, hey, more of our patients are going to be found in their homes and we need resources to be able to reach those patients. Hey, what kind of entity, I don't care what industry they're in, has resources. Turns out the Geek Squad has a lot of geeks in a lot of different markets. And Mass Gen, God bless them, was like, that's a great partner for us. Can I play the counter on this? I I think that um, I don't I don't think we get there. Like I don't want to sound completely negative. Y'all know I'm like sunshine and rainbows, but <laughs> I look at this idea of like we're going to have an intelligent ecosystem where when my ICD is going you know, haywire, I'm going to go to to Best Buy. Like I don't buy it. I don't think we get there, and I think it's a distraction because if you like who was it? It was uh, um, uh, Jamie Dimon from who's he? What company is he? Uh, JP Morgan. JP Morgan, Berkshire Hathaway, Amazon all came together and they were like they were going to fix healthcare, and they quit. Right? They brought in um, uh, Atul Gawande who wrote the Checklist Manifesto on a number of things as a CEO, and it's like this guy's going to be you know they're going to change the world, and they didn't. I think I think this is one of those things where the where i see a lot of success is when people have very well defined niches and they're going to solve the problem for that particular niche 
especially if you're not J&J or you're not Medtronic. Like this idea of like the connected, you know, value-based care. I, I was back at Mercy when we were having conversations with Medtronic about this like eight years ago. And, you know, other health systems have to. So I, I just think this is one of those things where it is, it is way more difficult than what we think it is. And it, if I was an investor, I have been an investor, right? I've worked for venture fund. Like if I heard this idea, I would hear a lot of buzzwords as opposed to like, what are you really going to do in this? And how does it, how does your business work if this happens or if it doesn't? And I feel like that's the piece that we've got to, we've got to focus in on from running a company standpoint. Now, as the baby steps to those, Scott, playing counter to your counter here is Amazon just launched uh, it's it's a made a massive acquisition of one medical. It just launched its ninety nine dollar basically concierge service in the primary yeah. care space just this week. Costco last month launched a similar concierge service. Right, mm -hmm. we may not get right to the home, but we're the, certainly the building blocks and the steps are being put in place. I mean, you have Amazon and Costco now entering full throttle into the primary care market. Yeah, Walmart did that uh, like 10 years ago. So I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I'm just saying that, I mean, I know the people that were that were doing it uh, for Walmart back in the day. And they, in fact, they had one of the primary care places right near my hometown back in South Carolina. And we've got a long way to go to make it happen. I think it sounds really easy, but unless maybe the $99 approach gets you there because you don't have all the issues with insurance and that sort of thing. Um, because healthcare is really messy. Um, I don't know if you guys you guys probably knew that, right? But um, I think I think if you're if we're gonna see change, it's gonna be something like that where I pay a hundred dollars, it's all in. You've got the um people that don't that don't have any tie to the legacy of you know how healthcare has always been run. Um, but I guess the point that I would make is if I'm running a company. I need to make sure that my story works, whether this happens or if it doesn't, because this is the story that we've all been hearing since 19, when, when did, when did the Affordable Care Act come out? 2010. 2010. Yeah. And, and I mean, it was even like Bill Clinton back in the day was talking about it um, with, uh, with his thing. Like, this is something we've been pushing for forever and the technology is getting better, but there's still the underlying messiness of the environment that you need to be agile around. So. Well, you said a key thing, Scott, is I don't think it's doing something or something else. I think you have to be prepared to do both at the mm -hmm. same time because something's going to win out at some point. And I think the public is going to break up into segmentations mm -hmm. because some of them lost their hospital, some of them lost their physician, some of them lost a variety of things. And so that $99, even on a little payment plan or something, to a store that I always go to anyway, because you want to keep people healthy so they don't have to go to the big white building 200 miles away, right? So and, and just to just to confirm, happy. Amazon, Amazon and Costco launched the telepresent platform. It's not doc in the box. So right. Just, you know, yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's telehealth thing. So it's that connectivity. So you're back to the Best Buy model, right? So if you do enough of the different kinds of models to fit what those consumers are, um, 
you've just got to be cognizant and keep updating yourself on those. That's where the agility comes in. And we also have a more activated consumer, I think, than ever before, right? I mean, yeah. the consumer across all, all platforms is the more intelligent or at least has more access to intelligence uh, than ever before. And we have a more activated consumer base than ever. And I think that's going to tra translate even into healthcare, right? I mean, so much of our past, I mean, think about our grandparents, right? It was the doctor is God. You know, you never question the doctor. And now you've got a 22-year-old young person coming in, having read something on Medscape and asking the doctor 18,000 questions mm -hmm. that only 10% of which are relevant, but they're trying to be active in their healthcare, right? Yeah. 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 I think yeah. the uh, other consideration here is the, 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 the kind of the, the, the boogeyman in this whole thing is what is, what's the government and third party payers? What are they up to? Right. How are they going to respond to all of this? Right. So I think that's a big factor in how this is going to sort out because, you know, we, we were doing some things, you know, during COVID where we're, you know, empowering, you know, home visits or I'm sorry, empowering uh, virtual visits. And then, you know, now maybe not so much. We're kind of falling back to the status quo. So what is the, you know, what's the reimbursement model going to look like with all of this as we move into next year and years beyond? I think that's a big question that still needs to be resolved. And I think, um, and again, this is just me, you know, I'm maybe playing a little bit of a stronger position than I genuinely feel, but if I'm United Healthcare or Aetna, I'm not changing the model. They're making money hand over fist. And so then, you know, if you think about the the players in the space and and we're tied to Medicare, we're tied to, you know, traditional insurance, it's never going to work. Like they, they make too much money as it stands today to, to make any sort of transition. Yeah, Scott, and Scott, those it's... players you just named also are doing they're they're investing into the the patient yes. care but more heavily than ever with you know CVS and what they've done, Walgreens, you know, you know, they're they're all looking at that in in some may say hedging their bets, but they're they're looking at that whole control model and managing that whole third party payer part of it as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and Scott, one of my favorite memories from the early 2000s was standing in line at the Blockbuster on my BlackBerry, looking at some information, <laughs> right, for what movie I wanted to watch. So just remember, you can be a big behemoth today if you yeah. don't, if you're not paying attention to where the Netflix is coming from or that iPhone is coming from, right? That stuff, that stuff can sneak up mm -hmm. on you. It can. But if, if, if BlackBerry, a rim, right? Owned the internet. Yeah. It's a lot harder to, to push them aside, right? Like I'm not saying that there isn't change afoot. What I'm what I'm trying to argue is it is a lot harder than we think because people have been trying to change this model for how many years? I mean, at least 15. If we think 2008 is when, you know, so we're talking 15 years in, and it is not appreciably different from a payer standpoint. It, to me, I'm like, I, I'm I'm not betting that we're going to see this kind of a thing come in in a way that's material. And we've got the AI algorithm piece. Um, so I'm just going to continue my my doomsday, you know, rainy cloud piece. Uh, I saw technology back when I was VP of innovation at Mercy um, years ago, like many, many years ago, that was better at predicting um, or better at reading radiological scans than a human being. 
And, you know, we won't name the name of the company, but really cool stuff. And this was like eight years ago. And it is not on the market today. It's, it was acquired and it's, you know, it's great technology, but like it is not the, the mainstream of what we're doing today. And I think this goes into showing the issues with healthcare is there's a lot of rent seekers, people that kind of box you out. And so anyway, I, I think we've got to pay attention to that if we're running a company to be ready for where the winds blow. And I'll stop. I'll stop on my right. I've been paying attention to CMS a lot because CMS is now following more of where are all the sort of medical issues going on that may or may not be related to current either technology or devices out there. And they're trying to change the codes so that they're more inclusive of payments and not as sort of um, generic vanilla, and it's a hard time to figure out, does it fit in here or not fit in there? And then you're you're sort of left with just those uh, miscellaneous codes and things which don't get you far. So there's a lot of that going out there so that they're helping to um, get more uh, devices or therapies paid for by changing the description of them and mm. and adding some new code. So you got to keep an eye on those. Mm. I think it'll be interesting to see where remote patient monitoring develops uh, and, and sort of those codes. There's a ton of activity in that space. And uh, a lot of people are um, kind of rushing in and you know, the, the codes are very, very attractive to get into. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so interesting space to be playing in for sure. I'll, I'll be curious. With that, you, know, you know, per what you were saying before, the United Health, Aetna, et cetera, you know, yep. being a behemoth and where the money is, conversely, consumer money is flowing into here more than it ever has, right? The wearables, Samsung, I, Apple, Google, all yep. investing exorbitant amounts of money to try to create those wearables to be part of that patient at home dynamic right in that monitoring service so that's why i you know i i hear what you're saying and i i firmly believe that you know this is an industry that is entrenched on itself i just think particularly coming off of covid the the need and the recognition to innovate has probably created a greater impetus and catalyst than it's ever had before yeah mm -hmm. Yeah, it was almost like a license, right? It yeah. is like it's licensed to do whatever and you get little niches. And then some of those companies kind of get bought up and the little niches then get together and you become a platform and various things. So it, it's all happening so fast, but you got to that agility. It was the best word you could say. Skinder, because that's really what's going on. And so many of the larger companies, if you've been following the trades and things, 300 folks uh, divested here and there. And then you've got different divisions of companies, uh, everybody's scattering, looking for jobs similar to what they had, but they're not available in tech. Uh, it's a kind of a little scramble out there right now. I mean, think about it. If we were to talk about 30 years ago, if we were to tell you, hey, your corner pharmacy is also going to be your insurance carrier and where you primarily go for your primary care, right? Because that's what yeah. CVS is now, all three mm -hmm. of those things, right? We might have thought at that time, 
come on, man, you're getting ahead of yourself while you're waiting in line talking to that person at Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> on your while you're doing the snake game. While you're doing the snake game on your Blackberry. Yeah. So why don't we uh why don't we summarize um some of the things or leave some final thoughts here uh in in our in our discussion. Uh who wants to take take that final thought? So I'll start, um, you know, building on something that Barbara just mentioned, and that's um, earlier I wrote down a word um, consolidation, right? Because there's so much going on in AI, but in, in AI, you've got just these really small companies looking at just small, you know, micro segments of the market. And I was reminded <clears throat> in history, you know, in the early 1900s, there were something like 400 companies that had the term motor in them. You know, then we had how many dot coms and then we had all of this. And there, there needs to be some of that consolidation to get to um, much more um, dense solutions to help with this, right? So I think this will all eventually come together and we'll see some of the AI and some of these other um, trends kind of move in a forceful way. But to Scott's point, I think it's going to take a while. So I'll, I'll give it a little try here. So looking at it from a provider point of view, the the med tech companies, no matter where you are, whether you're, you're utilizing AI, you are an AI, or what new, you know, you think it's revolutionary product, whatever it is, you got to know where that provider is moving because they're grabbing things just as fast as you might be thinking them up because they don't want to be left behind and they need to have something now. And I saw it even before COVID where um, a, a CEO or a CMO would say, hey, we need a way to monitor these patients because we can't afford to keep doing phone calls and things and these patients are bouncing back. Next week, I want a way to go monitor them. So COVID only gave that even more impetus. So on the provider side, you need to understand who's grabbing what when. Are providers setting up more of their own um, uh, payer situations themselves? So they, they're just owning what they can control, right? So there's just a lot of shifting out there. So you need to prepare yourself to really understand what those organizations are doing uh, and how do you really fit in? And this conversation, I can have all day long about that, but I thought it was still worthwhile to bring up that don't let your eye off all of the balls going on out there. Um, bah humbug is my, is my takeaway. <laughs> um, <Scott> Scrooge. <laughs> I know exactly. I'm normally like this, like we could do it guys. Um, but but I think here's what I would say is at the end of the day, people buy value and and people appreciate value. And so to the extent that um, you've got to go, because we covered a lot of topics in this in this uh, podcast, the, it, to the extent that you're trying to raise funds, I would I would try to draw any investor back to the reality of the marketplace, which is there are a lot of unmet needs and we are trying to solve for a need and the solving for that need is worth more to our customers than 
the dollars it's going, it's going to take for them to pay it or the cost and, and including time and that sort of thing. And that's that's what that's the message that I would deliver. And if I was again trying to raise money for my RPM company, what I would do is I would just I would try to focus in on that, clear out the the, the crud of all the different conversations and that sort of thing, and just focus on what what actually matters. I think from an operational perspective, Barbara, you say it well, I think it's, I think it's about agility. It's about, and maybe Skinner, it was, it was you who saying, saying this, but you know, I think we've got to focus on how do you win no matter what happens? And that's, that sort of flexibility is a key piece of it. And, and then I finally think, you know, where are we going from a consumer standpoint? Like, I don't know. I mean, I think we all know the direction which we're going over the course of the next 30 years, but you know, we're 15 years into a 30 year journey from when we first had the Affordable Care Act. Right. And so and we're we're really not that different. I mean, it's not a lot better than it was. I would argue that it's worse, but but it takes a long time to see these changes. So I think operationally, it's just important to look at how do we make sure that we can we can be where the puck is going, but knowing that the puck goes a lot slower than what we think uh, actually should be doing. Yeah, I was wondering when we were going to have a sports analogy. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so one of the things uh, in my closing, I just want to talk about what, what Tom referenced and building off something he said. And one of the things that I found striking in this article, which uh, for my panel, I'm, I'm share, sharing my screen and showing you this. The first patent, uh, the first FDA filing for an AI based platform in, in healthcare was filed in roughly 2007, 2008. In the decade that that followed that, there was 127 FDA-approved AI algorithms, okay? So again, from 2007 to 2017, 127. Since 2017, which we are now at the point we sit in, roughly six to seven years from that time, we have 384 AI algorithms that are approved, right? And this number is only trending even higher, right? So as we close out what would be the next part of the decade in this, so that'd be up to 2028, you could posit that this number will likely be somewhere around 700, 800 as we get to that, if not crossing over a thousand mark, right? This is technology that is moving fast. This is technology that is moving at light speed. And, and coming, coming back to, to my original position, finding where that dry powder that's been sitting on the sideline is, and where that's going to be put to work is going to be put to work in these platforms. You know, if you are a small company that just has a digital, a mechanical device, you are in trouble. You're not going to raise capital. The money wants to flow to this. This is the future. I don't know. And Scott, per your point, I don't know if it's the future is five years, 10 years, 30 years, but it is the future. And we're going to see incremental steps going in that direction. The providers want it. More importantly, the consumer and the patients want it. And I feel like if anybody that's in a position that wants to find wants to find some level of optimism in 3.5% growth in 2023, going into 2024, you have to find a way to hitch your wagon to that. If anything, you have to tell a story that hitches your wagon to that, because that's what's going to lead to growth in 2024. So that's why it's great when you play the guest because I have the last word. Nobody can contradict me. So I love that. 
I love that. And with that, we want to thank everybody uh, for their time and listening to us and giving us your ears for for this time. Hopefully we uh, impart some knowledge upon you uh, and entertain you for the few minutes that we have you. Uh, We are recording this right before Thanksgiving. So to my esteemed panel of colleagues and to our producers, I just want to say personally, thank you to each of you uh, for the contributions you guys make and making this platform and all the information and all the things that we disseminate uh, and and hopefully entertain people with. Uh, But thank you to everybody in 2023. I'm very thankful for each of you. And uh, and, and the same goes for each of our listeners. Thank you to each of you for for giving us your time and allowing us to bend you here for a little bit. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Thanks.